Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us in our online worship experience here. Trust you've enjoyed the musical part of our worship, and now as we turn to a brand new series, uh, welcome. I hope you have your Bible nearby, whether it's on your phone, your tablet, or well, they'll be on the screen also, but hope you'll join along with us as today we begin a brand new series that we're very excited about. We're going to be walking through portions of the book of Revelation. That's right, the book of Revelation. We're excited about it. been anticipating it for weeks and thinking about it for weeks and studying it for weeks and now uh, just kind of trimming things down to see what does the Lord want us to see from this incredible, incredible book. Now, some of you may be asking certain questions and one of those questions would be, why Revelation and why now? <clears throat> why we, as a matter of fact, it occurred to me in the 14 years of the orchard's existence, we've not worked through in a methodical, intentional way um, the book of Revelation. So why now? Well, first of all, let me tell you why not. It's not because we're coming out of a pandemic and uh, thinking this might be the end. It's not because of world situations and world circumstances that have changed, particularly here in our own country in the United States. It, that's really not it, although all of those things certainly lend a, a, a reason for us to study the book. And that's not really the reason why. Why now? I, I think, the, to me, the why now is because God has laid it on our hearts to do it. God has given us some thoughts and some, some ideas from this book that we're anxious to share and excited about sharing with you guys, uh, with all of us in the days ahead. Revelation is indeed an exciting, exciting book. Now, interestingly enough, even though it's always somewhat exciting to me, many people have chosen not to read Revelation. There's various reasons why they give. Some, for instance, just recently said, well, I don't read Revelation because it scares me, frankly. And maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, I don't know, this book scares me. The, the idea of the end of time <clears throat> is scary to me. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation is intended to bring strength and comfort. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation is not intended to frighten us, but it's intended to comfort us and to strengthen us. In fact, Revelation brings us hope for tomorrow and strength for today. You're going to hear us talk about that a lot in the next eight weeks. Hope for tomorrow and yet strength for today. Other reasons why people don't read it. Some say, well, I don't read it because it's too hard to understand. And certainly it is difficult to understand, particularly with all of the symbolism that's involved in the book, all of the things that go into the book. And, and as we read it, it can become difficult to understand. And certainly we need a comprehensive view of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, to help us understand all of the symbology. But that is not a reason to not read the book. Well, some people would say and, and, and would argue, well, I just don't care. We're just apathy and, and just, I, I really, I'm really not interested. I really don't know how things are going to end. I don't know that I want to know or need to know. And sometimes we just get a little bit apathetic about why we don't read it. And yet we find that the book of Revelation says in the very beginning that there is a blessing to those who read the book aloud, by the way, that's interesting. Maybe we can talk about that. There's a blessing for those who read the book aloud and for those who hear it. It is meant to be, intended to be, a blessing to the church. 
I think Matt Chandler said it, uh, said it pretty well. I think he summed something up that needs to be said. Chandler said, bad theology and well-meaning manipulation have often robbed the church of one of her most precious possessions, the book of Revelation. I think that's very, very true. But for us, it's time to dig in. We're just going to start today. I want to introduce this book to you, help us to know about the book a little bit. As a matter of fact, John, all through the book of Revelation, is asking questions. He asks the famous questions, the who, what, where, when, and how questions, and why questions a lot. So I thought that might be a good way for us to move. It might be a good approach for us. So let's begin by reading chapter one, the first eight verses, and I think they'll give us a foundation for introducing this book and helping us get a little bit more acquainted with the last book of our Bible. Revelation chapter one, beginning with verse one. <clears throat> it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now here's that promise, verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Wow, what a great introduction. What a great start. Let's dig in and ask some of those questions. First question, who? Who is the author? Well, we read it immediately that the author is John, John the Beloved, John who was the current pastor of one of these seven churches and, and really in a sense writing as a pastor to all of the churches. It says, John, who bore witness to this word and to this testimony of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you see in verse four, he says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. And yet he gets the message from a messenger, right? Or from, this version says, an angel. But the word in the Greek is messenger. It could have been an angel. Who knows? Uh, could have been any kind of messenger. But it's written by John to the seven churches. And we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. So second question, what's this book all about? What really is the book of Revelation about? Let me say again, Revelation is intended to be a blessing, even though today many have refused to read it. Now, John says three things about this book in these opening verses that I think 
uh, open up to us the real purpose, the real meaning of the book and what the book is all about. He calls this three things that we see immediately in the text. First of all, it's a revelation. He says in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Very important. The word revelation there is the Greek word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. You, you, you readily recognize that name because we understand what an apocalypse is. Unfortunately, today, when we use the word apocalypse, we seem to always associate it with something bad, something scary, something frightening. And maybe that's why some are afraid. But in reality, the word simply means an unveiling, an uncovering, a pulling back of the curtains, if you will. Now, it's interesting because you know the way mind, my mind works. When I think about this pulling back of the curtain, I go back to one of my favorite movie scenes. You remember the classic Wizard of Oz. If you don't need it, if you don't remember it, then you need to go back and find that book and read it or rent the movie and watch it. The Wizard of Oz. If those of you who do remember it, remember the story is all about Dorothy trying to find her way back home. And the way she's going to do that is to talk to the wonderful Wizard of Oz, right? And so she gets her friends, the, the tin man, the scarecrow, and the lion, and they go to the city of Oz to talk to the wizard. When they finally stand before the wizard, frankly, they're scared. They're frightened. They see the image of an, of an ugly, a, a strong, a scary face who sounds like the voice of God coming down, and they're frightened, and they're intimidated. And then Dorothy's little dog, Toto, goes over to a curtain, pulls back the curtain to reveal that there's a man standing there, and the truth is things are not as they seem. He is no wizard at all. He's just another person. Now, what I want to talk about a moment is the way Toto, the dog, pulls back that curtain to reveal the truth. Now, that's what we see in Revelation. What we see is we see that John is through this messenger and through these visions that he sees and through the things that he hears and through the things that he experiences, pulls back the curtain and unveils, discloses the beauty, the splendor, and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, in the similar sense, exposes all of the fallacies, all of the falsehoods, and all of the lies that come from the enemy, the devil. So what a blessing. What we're going to see in this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And by the way, we're not going to see anything new. We're not going to see anything here that hasn't already been revealed in scriptures. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to me that Jesus describes himself at least seven times in the book of John and other times here in Revelation by saying, I am. I'm not going to go there, though. You need to tune into our more video series. Uh, Pastor Jeff does a great job in teaching us about these I am statements and how they relate. So we see Jesus unveiled, uncovered. This is an important part of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this may be picky to me, but please let me say, this is not revelations. It is the revelation. Why? Because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then John lets us see different windows of things that he sees about Jesus. So for eight weeks... We'll be talking about where we see Jesus in this book of Revelation. So first of all, it's an apocalypse. Secondly, he says in verse number three that it's a prophecy. 
It's a prophecy. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, when we think about prophecy, we tend to think about foretelling the future. And certainly there are portions of this book that are futuristic and, and tell us about what's to come. He says that in verse one. And certainly it is a, a, an intention to foretell the future, but don't miss this. Most of biblical prophecy is not foretelling, it's forthtelling, forthtelling the word of God. That's why the Old Testament prophets in particular would often say, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says. And so through this book, we're going to see this prophecy, this quoting of what the Lord has said. Now, I haven't counted it, but some commentators have said there's as many as 500 references here to the Old Testament alone. So it's amazing that we see this prophecy. This is saying, this is what the Lord says. No wonder there's a blessing for hearing what the Lord says. Now, the third thing is it's a letter. Verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. We need to keep in mind that John is a specific person writing at a specific time to a specific group of people. In this case, seven churches he is writing it with a specific interest in mind, and that is to bring them comfort and strength at a time when life was very difficult and hard for them. It is first and foremost a letter to them, but thankfully for us. It is not exclusive for them. No, no, no. It is written to them, but it's written for us. And we'll be able to gain a lot from this passage of scripture. Now, one thing you're going to hear us say a lot that I think is important and is based on the fact that this is <clears throat> indeed a letter is this thought. Revelation cannot say to us what it doesn't say to them. Now that'll really help you friend to understand the revelation. You know, sometimes we try to get so caught up in the symbols that we miss the right message. So that brings me to my third question. Why are there so many symbols? Why does John use these symbols in the book of Revelation? Well, I don't know if we have any hard, steadfast answers. Maybe we can ask John one day when we all get to heaven. But the truth is there are some thoughts about symbols that can help us. Um, apocalyptic symbology can help us in so many ways because so many of us see with our eyes visually what we have a hard time hearing audibly. The power of visual things uh, uh, is clearly seen. Ask anyone in television, ask anyone today who, um, who's in advertising, and we understand the power of seeing something visually on top of hearing it. One thing we know, symbols this visual looking have the rich ability to inform our intellect and at the same time stir our emotions so that when we read the book of, uh, of Revelation and we see this symbology and how it all unfolds for us visually and what John sees, listen, it stirs us emotionally and yet it informs us intellectually. So don't be afraid of the symbols, but don't get lost in the symbols. I'm afraid that sometimes we get so caught up in trying to figure out the symbology that we miss the main message. And the main message of, 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 of Revelation is clear. While the symbols may be difficult to interpret and understand and may take a little work, the theme is absolutely clear. The theme is the revelation, the unveiling, the pulling back the curtain, if you will, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
(laughs) There's so much more we could say about that, and we'll say it in the weeks to come. But let's move on to question four. When? When was this book written? Now, it's always important to know when a book is written, a a letter of the Bible is written. It's important to know, for example, that when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and Colossians, that he was writing from prison. That that helps us to understand what he's saying and, and some of the context. It's always important. Context is always important to Scripture, and why and when and where it was written are important. So let's talk about that when just a minute, and let's see why it's important. When was it written? Most scholars believe that it was written somewhere between A.D. 92 and A.D. 96. A.D. 92 or 96, and most of them lead toward the latter dates of of around 96 A.D. Now, why is that important? It's important because of what was going on in the world at that particular time. More specifically, what was going on in the Roman, Roman Empire, but since it covered the world, What was happening in the world? Let me catch you up on some important dates in this Roman history. We don't have time to do a full discourse of Roman history, but we can think of a few important dates. For example, um, we know that that during this period of time in 65 AD, Nero became emperor in Rome. And we know what happened under Nero. We, we know of the burning of Rome. We know of the persecution of Christians. People thought it would get better, but then in AD 67, Vespasian took over and things did not improve. In fact, they got drastically worse. People began to be burned at the stake. Some have said, some historians have, have written about being Christians being used as lamp posts, human lamp posts by being lit on fire. 70 AD was maybe the height of of terrible years for the the early Christian church. In 70 AD alone, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Peter, Paul, and Timothy were all executed for their faith, all martyred. Don't lose the impact of that. Think about your three or four most influential Christian leaders today and think of how you would feel if all three of them were executed for their faith tomorrow. It was a stinging time. People hoped that things would get better as Titus left left, uh, um, his role, but when Domitian came, Domitian came in 92, things only got worse. Domitian began to get a little bit um, insecure, um, began to doubt whether or not people were trying to backstab him or behind him. And so Domitian set himself up as an, not only emperor, but as a God himself, causing people to come and worship. He he made an order, an edict that people would have to come by, take a pinch of incense and sprinkle it on the altar at the temple and say, Caesar is Lord. That's why it's so important that you see John saying, no, Jesus is Lord. That's why that phrase is so important. And that's why that phrase was very costly in the Roman Empire. To say Jesus is Lord was in direct counter to what Domitian was saying, Caesar is Lord. Well, John evidently refused to say that, and as a, as, as a result of that, became known as a troublemaker and was exiled to an island called Patmos. Patmos. It's some 10 miles off the isle of modern-day Tur- off the, the, the shores of modern-day Turkey. And so here on Patmos, John was sentenced to severe manual labor. He spent his time on a rock quarry cutting out rocks. Now, why is that important? There are several reasons, and we'll discover these more as we move through the book. But for one thing, this runs counterintuitive to what the Christians, the early Christians were expecting. 
Where is kingdom living? This is totally counterintuitive to what we expected as kingdom living. Remember, they had heard the words of Jesus that the coming of the kingdom is at hand. They heard him say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the king. I'm going to usher in a new kingdom in a new way. Many of them were still hoping for that to happen in their day. They were expecting him to come and, 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 and dismantle this Roman empire, dismantle these Caesars who were causing tr- such heartache and trouble. But he's gone. He's left them, and now they're left to to deal with and to contend with Roman emperors who call themselves God and who could care less about their faith and, in fact, torture them as a result of it. They must have felt to some degree that God had left them. (laughs) Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever asked that question, where's Jesus? Why is he up in heaven? And I'm glad everybody's up in heaven enjoying his presence and everything is going great. But what about down here? Down here, there's a lot of suffering going on. Down here, there's a lot of turmoil in my life. Down here, there's a lot of things that I didn't bargain for and run counterintuitive to what some preachers are even saying. Where is Jesus? I'm afraid that we sometimes ask that question. John is going to bring strength and comfort. He's going to bring hope for tomorrow and strength for today by saying in this book, He is right here in our midst. Let me just pull back the curtain. Let me just tug the curtain because things are not as they seem. And while you may be scared of the image that some would portray of a wizard, of a wizard God, I'm telling you that in truth, in reality, here's what we're going to see about Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's amazing to me that the book of Revelation is really one of the greatest, clearest presentations of the gospel that we find anywhere. In fact, one commentator I've been reading a lot of said it this way. He said, basically, essentially, that if he had only one book to choose, if he were left on a desert island with only one book of the New Testament, Old Testament to to have, he would choose Revelation. Why? Because he says it is the clearest presentation. There no book has a more clear presentation of the gospel than the book of Revelation. And you're thinking, I've never quite read it that way. Well, I hope you'll read it that way in the next eight weeks. I think what you'll see is that there is a very clear presentation of the gospel. As a matter of fact, one illustration of it right here in the first chapter. Look at verse five with me. He says this, and from Jesus Christ, and here he begins to explain him, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I wish I had more time to unpack that, but I really want to get at this next sentence. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. There's the gospel, my friend. The truth of the matter is that Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood, not by trying to make us good and not by trying to perfect us in our outward experiences, but by his blood, paid the price for our redemption, for our atonement, paid the price for our sins. What a beautiful picture, picture of the gospel. We're going to see that so much more as we move on through this. And then the assurance for those who are saying, well, where is he then? He reminds us, verse 7, behold, he's coming. And he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. There's coming a day of reckoning, he's saying. There's coming a day when he is coming in justice and in power and in authority. There is coming a day indeed when you will understand a lot better 
And you will probably look back, we will all probably look back and say, you know what? Things were really not as they seemed. So why is this book important and why now? Why study it now? Because this book unveils to us the Lord Jesus. He unveils it to the world and unveils it to the church. And I think the church needs to see that today as much as the world needs to see that today. Yes, the world needs to see Jesus for who he is and what he's up to. But you know what? I'm convinced the church does too. I think we've become so busy in our work that we've lost sight of the one we're working for. I'm convinced that we need that. The gospel brings us comfort. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I wish I had time to read that, but let me just say what happened. In that letter, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, and he gives them a wonderful, um, wonderful picture of what's coming toward the end. He speaks about the great uh, tribulation. He speaks about the man of sin, the Antichrist. He speaks about the persecution that's coming upon the people of God. And then as he closes out that section of scripture, interestingly, he prays for them. And what's interesting is he prays for them to have comfort and strength. He prays that they would, by hearing these words, find comfort and strength. That's the intention of Revelation, to bring us comfort and strength, hope for tomorrow and strength for today. I'm convinced the gospel brings that. I heard a story, read a story actually, uh, the past couple of weeks that I thought was interesting, thought I'd share with you as I kind of bring this in for a landing. Um, seems that there were some seminarians who uh, during their seminary years were, would enjoy some physical recreation. They had a gym that was nearby and they asked the the custodian, if, if they could go in and play some basketball. And, and he was working anyway. And he said, sure, you come on in and play. And, and he would still be mopping and cleaning. And, but then he would always ask the seminarians, can I, hey, can I use one of your Bibles while you're playing? I want to read. And so he would read the Bible for much of the time that the seminarians were in the gym playing basketball. At the end of their game, they would often come to him and say, hey, what are you reading today? And he would tell them what he was reading. On one particular day, the seminarians, one of the seminarians came to the janitor who had been reading the entire time and, and said, well, what, what are you reading today? What book of the Bible are you reading today? And he said, Revelation. The seminarian kind of smiled wryly and said, well, wait a minute, you, Revelation, you know, that's a pretty hard one to understand. Not many people get that. Not many people can follow that. Are you, what, what did you, can you understand it? The janitor looked up and said with a smile, well, sure, I, I understand it. He said, and it's, it's not that hard for me. <laughs> they looked at him and said in a stunned look, well, wait a minute now, we're in seminary. We're having a hard time with this. You're saying you understand it easily. What's it saying? The custodian looked back, smiled with a grin, stood up and said, it's just simply saying, Jesus is going to win. <laughs> Jesus is going to win. If we have to sum up this book and why it brings strength and comfort, why it brings hope for tomorrow and strength for today, it's because we know and we read that Jesus is going to win. So let me close with a couple of questions for you and let's just bring it down to real life today and, and how this impacts us. A couple of questions that I want to ask. I think we have to ask ourselves as we begin this study, first of all, will we live in panic and fear based on the changing world around us? Or will we be willing to walk in faith? Are we going to let the things that surround us drive us to a place of panic and have us in a place of fear 
or are we going to walk in faith? Secondly, I think we need to ask this question. Will we live in spiritual complacency, putting uh, just basically life in neutral until we die or until Jesus returns, or will we allow our passion to be enraged so it is white hot? Are we going to be just apathetic and coast along, or are we going to become passionate My prayer is that as we see the curtain pulled back and as we see the picture of Jesus Christ week after week after week, our passion will grow strong. Yes, our intellect will be informed, but our emotions will be stirred. And then finally, I think we need to ask this question. Will we take up the eternal fight and acknowledge that we are on the winning side or will we continue to live in a state of defeat? Are we going to be constantly, continually walking in defeat, discouraged, disheartened? Or are we going to walk by faith and understand that we're in an eternal fight and we are on the winning side? We are on his team. I always heard people say, used to hear people say, well, I'm glad that God is on my side. I want to return that in a different way. Can I just say that a little differently? Instead of saying, I'm I'm glad that God is on my side, I want to say this, I'm glad I'm on his side, right? Because his side is right. So the takeaway for this morning and for this week is pretty simple. Just simply this, Jesus is going to win. Now, there's so much more to say in the next seven weeks. I hope you'll follow along with us and I hope you'll stay with us as we continue to pull back the curtain on Jesus Christ. Now, before I pray, let me say this. I know there are some out there today who struggle with these things, and I'm praying that today you will just give your heart and surrender to Christ and say, God, I want to read through this book with Pastor Eddie and and the the orchard, and and I, I want to see this book, and I want to have the Holy Spirit unveil it, open up and help me to see these things. And even though I'm a little bit afraid, I want to open up, speak to my heart. For those of us who are followers of Christ, would you just pray that God would instill in you information that you need for strength and hope, and yet stir your passion to the point that you follow Jesus with all your heart. And will you, will you come to the place that you realize we're in a fight, we're in a battle, and it's no time to be complacent. I'm on his side, his side wins, but there's still a battle to be fought. It doesn't mean that I can sit around and wait till Jesus comes. I've got to engage in the battle. And then finally, you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, but you tuned in because something in you has been stirred and there's been thoughts that you've been wanting to to follow. And I, I pray these next eight weeks as Jesus is unveiled, as you see him in the revelation and in the I am statements that will follow on the more videos, as you see these things, you'll say yes to Jesus' invitation to come and be on his team and on his side and to walk with him in the midst of this battle that we all face. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this time together. Thank you, Father, for your word, for your blessed word. Thank you for the promise of revelation that we'll be blessed by reading and hearing this word. And so as we read and hear it for the next eight weeks, God, I pray that you would indeed speak to our hearts and pull back the curtain, pull back the veil in our minds and in our hearts that we might see Jesus in a fresh and new way. We pray in his sweet name. 
Amen. God bless you. See you next week.